Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. Uh, So some people have asked me, they noticed that I have a new stole on. During my leave, at the end of June, uh, when my leave was beginning, I actually crossed over. I'd been uh, ordained 25 years ago. And on the, uh, the 25th anniversary of my ordination, and so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had totally forgotten that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at keeping track of milestones, but my wife and children made sure to uh, gift me with a stole just two, week, two weeks ago uh, in honor of that ordination. So I was, yeah. And it's based on... Uh, Brother uh, St. Francis's Ode to Brother Son. So if you want to read the lyrics, uh, they're in the hymnal, but that's what uh, this is about. Um, This is the third Sunday since we have begun using the narrative lectionary. And last week, I went into some detail about what a lectionary is. If you were not here, I'm going to give a quick summary, uh, quite simply, A lectionary is a list or a cycle of suggested scripture readings to be read in the context of worship each week. The narrative lectionary, which we are using, is different than some other lectionaries in that um, the, the calendar of suggested readings begins on the second Sunday in September and then runs through the day of Pentecost, and then it takes a break in the summer. So it's more uh, follows our academic year that we're so used to living by. Um, Since this is a new venture for us, I want to mention a couple of the resources that we're making available. Uh, One of them is this handy-dandy bookmark that's in the pews. There's several on your way out of worship. I invite you to pick one up. On one side is the list of Scripture readings. Uh, from now until May 28th, uh, 2023, which is the day of Pentecost. On the opposite side, this is um, the calendar of the Christian year. And so it tells you what readings, what stories we're looking at as they fall within the seasons of Advent or Epiphany, Lent, Easter, things like that. The other resource Uh, that you can pick up on your way out of worship is our take-home devotional, God's Story, Our Story. And besides having a really nice uh, devotional uh, pattern that you can use at the dinner table, either uh, with your family or individually, there are also a list of scripture readings for each day so that we might gain more familiarity with the Bible. Now, during our threshold moment, Todd read the first few um, verses of Genesis 39, which is our uh, text for today, and uh, they alert us to the fact that this man, uh, Joseph, is put into a bind by uh, Potiphar's wife. And uh, who is this Joseph? Well, Joseph is... Uh, the great-grandson of Abraham. 
And Abraham is that patriarch. Uh, we heard his, a little bit of his story in our reading last week. So we've jumped ahead three generations. And even though we will not do this on most Sundays, I want to go ahead and read uh, the remainder of chapter 39. I'm going to just skip ahead to uh, verse 11 and read from there. One day, however, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and well, no one else was in the house, she, Potiphar's wife, caught hold of his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of the household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out in a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to insult me. And as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Let me uh, mention a concern about this story that a, a female preacher lifted up. Uh, that too many people might focus on the part of the story where Joseph is unjustly accused of rape and how that plays into a narrative of women crying rape when they actually wanted sex. And then this implies that men are very often the victims of scurrilous accusations. I've been a man long enough and around men long enough to know that this narrative of woman as scorned seductress can be a bit overblown and problematic. And so I think we would benefit uh, by hearing some reflections from a, a female a theologian or pastor on this topic, I, I sort of wish Pastor Susan were here and could say a few words. 
Uh, but I did talk to uh, a few of my female colleagues about this as I thought about how to uh, talk about this story. And with that sensitivity, I think it's really important to point out that the whole reason that, that Joseph is in this situation is because of the actions of at least 11 men, his 11 older brothers. Genesis 37 tells us that for a few reasons, Joseph's brothers are jealous of him. So jealous, in fact, that while he's still a teenager, they conspire to kill him by throwing him in a pit. And you think your families are dysfunctional. But just as they do this, uh, the brothers see, uh, you know, they throw him in the pit and then they sit down to have a meal. And, and, but as they do this, they see a caravan of, of traders coming their direction and they realize that there is a more profitable way to dispose of their brother and, and without killing him. And so they drag Joseph out of the pit and they sell him to these traders uh, who then take him into Egypt where he is sold to Potiphar. Now, the brothers also manufacture evidence uh, of, that Joseph had, must have been killed by wild beasts. They need to tell their father something. And so they take his garment and they dip it into blood that, to show it to their father as proof that he was, uh, Joseph was dragged off by wild beasts. So according to the story so far, as we've uh, read in Genesis, or would have read in Genesis if we were reading every chapter, it is the actions of Joseph's brothers, all men, and Potiphar's wife, a woman, uh, that include two things. They both include two of the same things. A misuse of power, and attempts of deception. So isn't it interesting, though, that both deceptions involve a cloak? So, uh, so uh, just as Joseph's brothers dip the, the cloak in blood to, to show that uh, to their father that Joseph must have been killed, now Potiphar's wife shows him the garment as proof of uh, his sexual assault. Here, I think, though, is a way to understand the overall story as it relates to both uh, Joseph's brothers and Potiphar's wife. Um, Genesis begins, Genesis 1 and 2, begins with the bold assertion that humankind, both male and female, is made in the divine image. You remember that, right? And that, and that then God gives that, uh, the, the, the human with divine image uh, dominion or power uh, over creation to be bearers of the divine image. It's a very high and noble vocation. 
But then Genesis proceeds to tell us story after story after story where both genders fail to act in ways uh, that reflect that they are bearing the divine image. I think that's a question that is something that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, at, At least thus far into Joseph's story. Where in our lives are we failing to remember that we are bearers of the divine image? Especially when it comes to our use or misuse of the power that is available to us. Or when it comes to participating in deception. And I think we have plenty of evidence these days of people participating in deception. A second thing that we might pay attention to in this uh, story is the implicit power imbalance. Joseph, he is a a foreigner in Egypt. He is a Hebrew and he is a slave, uh, which means that he has no voice No standing that allows him to even respond to the allegations that have been made against him, right? That's why we don't hear a word from Joseph in the story about the accusation once it's made. The falseness of the accusation is really apparent in the text. But at the same time, there's no space for the victim, in this case, Joseph, to grieve or to speak, or to seek justice. That sounds awfully contemporary to me because we still do not really listen to the cries of victims. I can't help but think about how often today victims of of sexual abuse or harassment are blamed and shamed and, and they're uh, silenced and dismissed and they're just not believed. And, and, and then how those who have acted with harm are able to escape accountability for a very long time, especially if they have uh, incredible financial resources. You know, we just say, well, that must be a gold-digging claim. Back in May, there was a viral video where the pastor of an independent congregation, I think it was in Indiana, he, he stood before his congregation and tearfully and contritely uh, confessed to years of adultery. It seemed as if he were taking responsibility, repenting, of his wrong. That is until a woman in the congregation stood up and said, I was only 16 years old. Adultery is not the right word for a grown man 
having a sexual relationship with a 16-year-old girl in his congregation, is it? And what is terrible is that, that stories like these are all too common in churches. Uh, but they do, uh, you know, they do seem especially common in male-dominated authoritarian churches that have an authoritarian structure. Last May, the Southern Baptist Convention released a previously secret list of hundreds of pastors and other church personnel who had been accused of sexual abuse. Hundreds. A secret list. And the report, give them credit, at this point at least, I mean detailed how the top leaders of the church had stonewalled and then denigrated the victims. Oftentimes with that, that story of that uh, woman as scorned seductress narrative, untrustworthy witnesses, it, it, that is not to say it doesn't happen in denominations like ours. I, uh, I won't go into history, but, you know, 30 years ago, it happened right here, where a pastor was accused of multiple inappropriate relationships. And that pastor was just able to turn in their credentials instead of going through a church trial. But when it, when it happens... Wherever it happens, the bottom line is still the same. It's this misuse of power and that it is this pattern of deception, of avoiding responsibility. This is another uh, way this scripture invites us to reflect, asking ourselves, are, are we willing to listen to the cries of people who for whatever reason lack the ability uh, to, or the support to speak out. This reminds me of way back when I was a probation officer. I realized this is 30 years ago now. Ah, how did I get this old? Uh, 30 years ago, I was a, a probation officer and there, uh, there was a training uh, for judges and lawyers, I mean mostly men at that time, who uh, uh, to listen to the testimony of uh, victims uh, in sexual abuse or sexual crime cases, right? And, um, and one of the most common questions that would come out in a trial, you know, uh, uh, among the, the judges or the, or the lawyers was, well, why didn't this woman come forward sooner? Why did they wait so long? And, and so the trainer began this session, and she, she asked the participants, as I said, mostly men, the judges and the lawyers, she said, I want you to, to think right now of uh, your most recent intimate encounter. You understand what I'm saying, right? 
And the judges and the lawyers, these men, you know, they sort of, little grins started to appear on their faces. They looked down a little sheepishly as they were recalling whatever memory was coming to mind. And then the traitor said this, okay, now, which of you wants to go first and tell everybody about it? Do you think anybody raised their hand? And so the point is clear. If it is difficult to talk about a consensual interaction, how much more difficult would it be to go and talk about an unwanted um, interaction under, under cross-examination? Who would volunteer to do that? So again, this, this scripture invites us to consider if we are too easily dismissing the voices of those who may have some barrier to speaking out. And, and perhaps the easiest way to connect to this for all of us is to ask yourself, have I ever been in a situation when speaking out would put me or my family or my career, or my dignity, or my reputation at risk. It can be a hard thing to do when there is a cost associated with it. So the last thing I want to address in the, our, our reading from today is what uh, uh, theologically we might call divine determinism. In this passage, there are several times where we read, the Lord was with Joseph, even as things are not going very well for him. But as one theologian points out, this can lead us into the trap of militant predestination, where we see everything as God's will. And therefore, everything, both good and bad, must happen in precisely this way so that Joseph will later be in a position to save his family. Later in the story, Joseph himself will look back on everything that has happened in his life and, and he'll, he'll say God meant it for good. The trap is this. It does not mean that his brothers were right to sell him into slavery and ship him off to Egypt. And it doesn't mean that Potiphar's wife was right in falsely accusing him of rape. What it does mean is that even in the worst parts of his life, Joseph was able to find possibilities for redemption. But friends, the God of Scripture, the God we believe in, the God I hope you believe in, would have been able to be at work in Joseph's life even without those injustices. God would have found another way. 
And so we need to be careful about, well, not, you know, avoiding any responsibility to, to address injustice when we see it. But what the Bible tells us again and again and again, my friends, is that God is especially good at weaving options of redemption into anything and everything that happens in our lives. That's the God we worship. And if it's not the God you worship, I invite you to come to know that God. Thanks be to God. Amen.